This is the Carlin vs. Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Oh, we have finally arrived. It's Super Bowl week, and there are stories galore all week long. It is Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Joseph Fortenbaugh, welcome. Welcome to Super Bowl 58. Excited. Excited is barely barely scratching the surface of all the emotions I'm going through right now. I got a I feeling the big man's feeling good as well. It's Super Bowl week. It's Super Bowl week. Like we came in this morning and we're dumping ideas all over the place in the pre-show meeting. And eventually we're all looking at each other and we're like, it is Super Bowl week. Let's just open with that. If you are not excited for sports in America this week, I don't know what to tell you because we got a hell of a game on tap. Point spreads less than three. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I just. I, what are you I all tangled up over there? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I'm all tangled. I got all wires everywhere. <laughs> you got an issue. So Super Bowl week starts no, off I'm with here. Carlin versus his headphone wires. Yeah, Carlin versus. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> headphones. Okay. Which is about right. It, it's kind of the way that most days start, but we're good. We're ready to go are now. We? Are we? We are good. We're good. We're great. We're awesome. Grand. We're fantastic. Joe, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. <laughs> For a job you'll love, visit progressive.com slash careers. I just want you to know. I want you to know this. It's never going to get any better for Progressive than it did right there. Exactly. That's the ultimate drop in. (laughs) This face is your face, Progressive. (laughs) Chew on that. Uh, Joseph, as we begin Super Bowl week, one of the biggest things to try to figure out is what are the bigger stories of this week going to be? What are the biggest stories of this week? And then kind of boiling it down to one. And I'm curious to know when you have – now examine this game for a week and now we get into really the thick of it for the next six days uh, prior to next Sunday in Vegas where do you feel like the biggest story at Super Bowl 58 is it's an excellent question because a lot of people will skew off the field towards Taylor Swift and some of the drama and the pop culture that surrounds the game and that's great That's fantastic. That's not necessarily for me when it comes to this conversation. I'm a purist by nature. I like my gambling against the spread and against the total like any gentleman would. Sure, I'll get involved in the prop market. and We're going to have props all week that we lay out on the show for you. We got one coming in a little bit, one of my favorites. But I want to keep it on the field. And I think the number one storyline for Joe Fortenball going into this week, Kyle Shanahan, how he manages this scenario late in the game. I want to give you a number. 52 to nothing. You know what 52 to nothing is? Uh. The combined runs of the Patriots and the Chiefs in their two Super Bowl wins over Kyle Shanahan. The Patriots went on a what is it? A 20 a 31 nothing run to close out that game when Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta and the Chiefs went on a 21 nothing run to close out the game against Shanahan's Niners a few years ago. 52 to nothing. And I want to highlight something here. In that game against the Patriots, all right, 8.31 to go in the third quarter. Falcons lead 28-3. to If you exclude punts and penalties from the equation, the Falcons only ran 15 plays in the rest of regulation. 11 of them were pass plays. You're leading 28-3, to and 11 of your 15 remaining plays, not counting punts, were pass plays. 
You had three sacks on those pass plays, one of which led to a fumble and a turnover to New England. In the 21 to 10 lead, 20 to 10 lead, excuse me, that the Niners held over the Chiefs in the fourth quarter a few years ago, less than 12 minutes to go. Less than 12 minutes ago, 17 more plays were run by the Niners. They had 17 plays the remainder of the game. 12 of them were pass plays. Kyle Shanahan has had two big Super Bowl leads, and in both of them, he's chosen to throw the ball all over the field rather than run the ball, something that's a Shanahan trademark going back to his father. That's the storyline for me. How does Kyle Shanahan handle the game management late in this matchup with the Chiefs? I get it completely because he has been treated as a genius, basically, for the last few years with how he has been able to develop quarterbacks and the fact that they are in this position with Brock Purdy, uh, a guy that was the last pick in the draft, and now it really becomes about the in-game adjustments. And if he is a good enough coach in those situations to get you over the hump because those questions are, are all more than fair. I don't know that I'm going to put it at the top of the list yet. Sure. And the reason why is that we have to get to the fourth quarter with him being in that situation. Like we have to get, and I'm not saying the Chiefs are going to blow them out, but I, I, I have seen the 49ers play poorly in some instances, including what we saw against Baltimore. Now, personally, uh, that may have had more to do with matchups than anything else. But when the other guy is on the other side of the field, meaning number 15, I tend to treat it as, okay, let's get there first. Let's get to the fourth quarter first. So for me, as I look at this week, Joseph, I, I'm turning to just that. And it might seem like it's an obvious one to everybody, but it's a, it's a big, big story. And that is the place of Patrick Mahomes in history, the place of Andy Reid in history. Feels like two storylines there. Feels like well, we're cheating a little bit. It, it's coach and quarterback. When we're putting them together. Because two different a, a positions, of, two different salaries. Okay, that's fine. But how many times do we tie coach and quarterback together? We do it all the time. We'll be doing it all show, from what yes. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's why. It, just to make you happy, let's start with the Andy Reid part of it. Let's okay? do that. All right. Andy Reid right now is sitting at fourth all-time in wins. So he is not that far off from actually catching Belichick. He's somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 wins behind him. I don't know that he's ever going to be the all-time winningest coach past Shula. He's 65 years old right now. And we did talk about the possibility of him retiring, but remember, we had Peter King on last week who says that's he doesn't think it's happening. There's, there's no indication that that would be happening. This would be Super Bowl win number three. I, I think that when you tie that together with what his career has been and the winning percentage as it is, it's hard not to put him in the conversation as one of the great coaches of all time. If he's not already, you had that th third Super Bowl win in, then you're in rarefied air. And I love the fact that he's done it with two different teams. Right. I know he didn't win a Super Bowl in Philadelphia, but he, got to one. but he got to one. He was in multiple championship games. It really speaks to something when you're able to do it across two different leagues, two different teams, two semi-different eras, several different players, if not all. And then on the Mahomes side of it, Joe, most people have not wanted to engage it yet because Brady is so far and away in front, but they'll engage it after three. Just to give you an idea, Brady got to three when he was 27 years old, but then didn't win another one for a while. 
Mahomes will get there at 28 if they win it this year. That will be the second youngest of all time. He'll get there ahead of Aikman, who got there at 29. He'll get there ahead of Montana and Bradshaw. But three all-time, then you're in that next level. Now, Aikman is never treated as one of those top-tier quarterbacks of all time simply because of numbers and who he had with him with Emmett Smith, right? I, I think when you look at the, the other guys, um, the Super Bowl wins for Bradshaw are great, but the you look at the overall picture of that team in the non-salary cap era, it was harder to do. Montana, he's amazing. He is one of the he if he's he right now would probably sit at number two or number three. But you put Mahomes very much in that category. Like that is a conversation that has to be start uh, that has to start to be had because uh, honestly, if you put them on the same trajectory, okay, just out of pure speculation, if you put Mahomes in the same amount of games that Brady played, like on that trajectory, he's going to blow him away with touchdown passes and yards and all that stuff. So I don't expect him to play till he's 45, but the point is bigger seasons at this pace. Yeah. And and a, that's a lot, I know, but still. Throw first league. It's always going to be difficult to compare the statistics from era to era because number one, we added the 17th game. And then number two, you didn't throw as much in Montana's day, ago. for example, but it's all right. If you were around, if you watched any of this, you understand the greatness that unfolded with all those guys. I mean, Brady having Belichick, Mahomes having Reed, Montana having Walsh. This is what it takes. Right? Yeah. Like, so often we're willing to take the ultimate team sport and boil down the success to one person, but so many things have to go right to be here. You need quality coaching. You need to avoid injuries. You need to avoid bad play calls or a bad bounce on a fumble. I mean, that Kansas City game against Buffalo, the way the ball was bouncing in some of those scenarios, an oblong ball, impossible to predict where it's going to go. Right. So I love the fact that it started as two separate storylines with my, you know, joke towards you. But ultimately, they do weave together Reed yeah. and Mahomes and what it means for their legacies moving forward. It's all on the line this week against San Francisco. All of it. Here's what I love the most. We're going to have a phenomenal game. You touched on it at the top. This is going to be a great game. I think so. I, I do expect it to be a great game, and I'll be disappointed if it's not, and the odds makers certainly seem to think so. When you when you look at the numbers, what is the total at right now? Is it 51? No, 47 and a half. 47 o- and a half, a little bit lighter. 48, we've seen a little under money, and we saw the market ping pong back and forth on the spread from Niners as high as two and a half, down to as low as one, now back up to two, two and a half, depending on the book you look at. So if you're giving me a 24-21, a 27-24 game with a one-point spread in there right now, we're going to have a phenomenal Super Bowl. I think so. I think so yeah. for sure. A lot of people surprised the Chiefs are underdogs here. That That's one of the sentiments from the public out there. They're shocked the Chiefs are underdogs given how Mahomes has performed throughout his career. It speaks to the power rankings in Vegas as to how they view the bookmakers, that is, the odds makers, how they view the San Francisco 49ers team. Well, Joseph, speaking of tying coach and quarterback together, there's one coach and one quarterback that everybody right now is trying to tie together. We are just getting started. It's Carlin versus Joe. We're number 10 on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. <laughs> this is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.
Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. The Commanders are hiring Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator. He spent last fall as USC's quarterbacks coach, meaning he worked directly with Caleb Williams. Are the Bears as sure on Caleb Williams? Might they keep Justin Fields? Would they be okay with trading back to two and taking Drake May? Chicago, they have a pretty terrible track record (laughs) developing quarterbacks there. Not that Washington has a great history either, but having your college quarterbacks coach and a location might make it a little bit more comfortable for a quarterback like Caleb Williams. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. The fact that Cliff Kingsbury is now the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joseph, they have the number two pick in the draft, as we know. Dan Quinn bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, who... I don't know exactly what happened with the Raiders, but it sounds like uh, that deal just fell apart in their negotiations. But it definitely changes what the dynamic is here for Caleb Williams at the number one pick. Because any mock draft that you go to right now has Caleb Williams at number one, and there doesn't seem to be any debate about that whatsoever. Now you add in, as you just heard Greeny talk about the fact that he has Cliff Kingsbury, who was with him all of last year, as their offensive coordinator. It feels like a very shrewd move by the commanders, but I'm really wondering right now if Caleb Williams can force the hand here and do the old Eli Manning and decide I'm not going to play for the Bears because I don't want him to ruin my career. Let's start with a couple basics. Number one, one of the rumors as to why it fell apart with the Raiders was that Kingsbury wanted a third year on the contract and the Raiders were only offering a two-year deal. Now, that's a report that was out there. We're not sure if that's specifically the reason. Getting to Washington is interesting. I mean, if you're Dan Quinn, you take over as the head coach of the Commanders. While it's a great opportunity, given the salary cap space and everything else, there is a problem. 
you were the last hire in the hiring cycle, which means a lot of coordinators, potential candidates, guys that could be on your coaching staff, have already been snatched up. Yep. And as we documented last week, Quinn had some success in Atlanta for sure, but a lot of it came when Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator. With Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta, Quinn went 19-13. and 13. His team scored 27 points per game. They went to a Super Bowl. His quarterback, Matt Ryan, won an MVP. After Shanahan left, Quinn went 24-29. and 29. He scored fewer points per game. There were no Super Bowls. There were no MVPs. He was eventually fired in 2020 after an 0-5 start. It's not to say Shanahan was 100% the reason, but it highlights a defensive mind as a head coach needs a very good offensive mind as his coordinator, especially someone who has experience with a young quarterback. Enter Cliff Kingsbury, who not only worked, as you said, with Caleb Williams at USC, so he's familiar with his strengths and weaknesses, he was the head coach in Arizona helping to develop Kyler Murray. So there's a lot Kingsbury brings to the table that's very positive here. I wonder, is it as big a deal as everyone's making it out to be? Because if Kingsbury was so great, there were nine openings out there. No one wanted him as a head coach. And was anyone else outside of the Raiders interested in his services as an offensive coordinator? I mean, listen, the, the argument to be made would be, well, if it was so important, you know, why wouldn't the Bears have gotten that done? The rumors were very early in that, right, about Kingsbury and the Bears. He interviewed with the Bears. He yeah. interviewed with Chicago. They had him in the yeah. building and apparently passed on him. Yeah. So if I'm Washington at this point, I, I don't feel like it was just settling. Like <laughs> – when I see that Raiders get Luke Getze, like, I know settling. That's settling. That's settling, yeah. <laughs> That's settling. It doesn't feel to me like Washington settled here. It feels to me more like, oh, wait, there's an opportunity here. Something, that, a door that we thought was initially shut is now open. But if you're Caleb, how important would that familiarity be? Because, I, look, I can make the case that if you're Caleb Williams – why wouldn't I go to play at a place with a guy I know and a, a brand new head coach who's not getting fired right away and I don't have to worry about all kinds of changes from year one to year two at least. I mean, that when you have the number one pick or you, and you're going to be the number one pick, one of the biggest downfalls is just that. That team has been terrible and I can't possibly – Imagine a scenario where the head coach is locked in beyond that unless he's just gotten hired, right? Even with Frank Reich last year, he wasn't locked in. But this is as stable a situation as, as Caleb could have if he's to force his way to Washington with somebody that he knows. If the Kingsbury component means so much, right, which everyone's leading it, leading, making it out to be, why wouldn't the Bears have hired him if they were interested in drafting Caleb Williams. That's the part that I have trouble getting over here. If the Bears are sitting there saying to themselves, you know what, we're very seriously interested in Caleb Williams. Cliff Kingsbury comes with great credentials, great recommendations. This might be the most important element to getting Caleb Williams. We should hire Kingsbury as the OC. They have him in the building. They pass. They go with, is it Shane Waldron, the former OC in Seattle? So they bring him over. That just, it jumps out to me as the team that has the best path to Caleb Williams passed on Kingsbury. So why is it such a big deal if he's with Washington now? Well, you know that facts have never been terribly important to me. No, no. So 
allow me to and the rest of america for that matter <laughs> accurate at least the last few years um allow me to speculate and trust me when i tell you pure speculation i don't think anyone thought this was going to be anything else i know nothing about this <laughs> nothing okay but i'm going to throw this out there no don't let that stop you please if you're cliff if you're um matt eberflus and we've talked so much about the protection of power over the last few years. Um, do you want Cliff Kingsbury in the building? And he's got such a tight relationship with the quarterback because, you know what, maybe they get me pushed out. We don't have such a great year, but they develop a little relationship together and all of a sudden Cliff Kingsbury's head coach of the Chicago Bears. That's kind of, that's how I would read it. And that's just based on how much Game of Thrones we see nowadays. Whereas Dan Quinn just got hired. Like, Cliff Kingsbury ain't pushing me anywhere. That's not happening. That's no. incredible to think that you could go ahead and maybe flush your opportunity at Caleb Williams down the toilet because you're afraid that Kingsbury could come in and take over your job. Because remember, if you pass on Kingsbury and he ends up in Washington and it leads to this new theory that Williams might make it clear to the Bears he's not going to play in Chicago, a la, as you said, Eli Manning in San Diego way back in the day, then the, then it all comes back to Eberflus probably finding a way to get himself fired anyway, mm. right? How can mm -hmm. you take yourself, how can you get the number one pick and manage yourself out of contention for the best player in the draft when there's no one picking ahead of you? My guess is at the time, you know, because you know there's all kinds of discussions going on now and for the next couple of months. My guess is at the time there was not an indication that he was not going to be willing to play in Chicago again. Nothing of what I'm saying is based in any sort of fact. But I, is it that out of the realm of possibility that that's the case? Well, no, because you could sit there if you're Caleb Williams and you could go to the Bears and you could say something like this. You are the only franchise in NFL history that has never had a 4,000-yard passer. And you are not an expansion franchise. You didn't join the NFL in, what was it, 2002, like Houston, who's had several 4,000-yard passers. I'm sure C.J. Stroud surged past that this season, although I don't have it in front of me right now, and I know he was a bit dinged up. You've never had a 4,000-yard passer. In immediate memory, you've mismanaged the careers of both Justin Fields and Mitchell Trubisky. What would lead me to believe that you would be able to get it right with me? Because you could put all that on Chicago's doorstep and it's going to be very difficult for them to sell you otherwise when they say, hey, I mean, we also have a defensive-minded head coach. Now, granted, he's never had the success Dan Quinn has had. And we also have an offensive-minded guy at coordinator in Shane Waldron who hasn't really had the success Cliff Kingsbury's had. Yeah. Although I, that can be apples to apples if you want to split that. Let me just – I'll kind of wrap up this idea on Caleb forcing his way to another place. What is it exactly that you see over the last 10 to 12 years in the NFL when it comes to high draft pick quarterbacks? These guys get spit out pretty quickly. I got to do the best to put myself in the best situation to get to that massive second contract. And that may mean that I got to ruffle some feathers early. How did it work out for the guys who did it? How did it work out for John Elway? How did it work out for Eli Manning? It worked out pretty damn good. They weren't wrong in what they did. I don't want it to happen to the Bears because it's a proud and storied franchise. 
but you can't argue with their history with quarterbacks. There, there isn't a history with quarterbacks. Let me let me throw something out there. How much of a slap in the face is it that someone would force their way to Washington over you? Mm. Arguably, the most dysfunctional of all NFL franchises over uh, the last two plus but it, decades. But it's a new day. I know, but it's what does day. that say about you? That you are going to be overlooked for Washington. That's a tough one. <laughs> it's a slap in the face. Yeah, it. That's a tough one. Hey, speaking of being in contention, Joseph. We got some NBA to discuss because there is a lot cooking, especially out West. Can LeBron and the Lakers actually get themselves back into the mix by the deadline on Thursday? It's next. Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. The Lakers end the Knicks' nine-game win streak. We said to ourselves we need to get back to a defensive mindset. Blocked by Davis at the rim. Brunson comes up with it. Blocked by Davis again. It's a great team win. It's funny, the Lakers the other night looked like they were out to prove a point. You know what, Joe? They looked like, oh, okay, Knicks have won nine in a row. Let's come in and remind you who's in charge here and remind people that we're going to smack them around a little bit. Did you feel a little edge to that game the other night? Absolutely, especially after what had happened with the L.A. backups in Boston taking out the Celtics. You turn around, you go to the Garden, everyone's talking about whether or not LeBron should want to be traded, whether or not he should want to come to the Knicks. The Knicks are red hot. James has always gotten up for those showdowns at the Garden. Saturday night was no different. That, that was a statement game for both teams in that spot. Well, for more on it, let's bring in George Sedano, ESPN 710 LA, and of course, the NBA on ESPN. George, Carlin, Joe, appreciate a few minutes, brother. Let's just start right there. The Lakers out this weekend trying to prove a point against the Celtics and the Knicks? I don't know if they're trying to prove a point. Um, I I think maybe there's certain individuals that may be trying to do that. I I think as a team... They're just trying to find some semblance of consistency because the only consistency with the Lakers this season has been their inconsistency. So whether it's the lineups, the shuffling uh, in rotation, dealing with injuries, they haven't had any continuity this year. And I'm starting to believe that last year was more of an aberration because a lot of people were pointing at the fact that, hey, you know, they had this great run after the trade deadline. Well, yeah, they did, but the schedule got softer. Uh, at the end of that season, and they had great matchups for themselves in the postseason. And I think that this particular team, as currently constituted, is not a championship roster. They're going to need to make some moves to 
be in that conversation or at least give themselves a puncher's chance. So let's dig down on that. Three days from today, NBA trade deadline. How aggressive can they get? Who do you think the targets are? Well, DeJounte Murray is the one that's being discussed the most often, and it's honestly the most realistic. I know Atlanta allegedly has been uh, asking people for multiple first-round picks. The Lakers don't possess that at the moment because they only have their 2029 pick available to give up. But they do have other young players that I'm sure Atlanta would want, particularly a guy like Austin Reeves. Are you willing to give up on Austin Reeves? The Lakers at this point seem to draw a line in the sand at him at this particular moment. But could they trade Jalen Hood-Shafino, who they drafted in the first round this particular season, and include him in a package? I think that those things will be discussed internally. And honestly, they need a guy like DeJounte Murray. I know D'Angelo Russell has played really well uh, of late. But, again, we talked about lack of consistency. There's nothing in his profile historically that says that he's going to be this player for an entire season. And there's nothing in his profile that says that he's a guy that you can depend on in the postseason. As a matter of fact, last season, our own Dave McMiniman wrote a story during that Denver series that they were afraid to bench him because they thought they'd lose him. So D'Angelo's playing well. You probably should sell high right now. And Murray is the one guy that I think can help them defensively at the point of attack. I know this year Atlanta's 27th in defense, and they haven't played well, and he hasn't necessarily played all that well. But it's more challenging when you're playing with a guy like Trey Young next to you and a bunch of other guys, honestly, who don't defend either, for that matter. But if he can be the San Antonio DeJounte Murray defensively, a guy who was potentially an all-defensive team type guy, I think the Lakers need that type of player. He can give them the scoring. He's shooting at an all-time clip for his career from three at 27 years old. Maybe he's kind of figured something out there. I think he could be the guy that could help them at least slow down a Jamal Murray type, which they don't have currently on this roster if they want to get through the West. George Donato, ESPN 710 LA with us, NBA on ESPN. You see him all the time. George, uh, the Clippers, they're up to third in the West right now. We have talked about the 65-game rule and how it seems to be working with the Clippers because everybody's on the court as much as possible. Uh, how dangerous are they right now? Incredibly dangerous. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They may be the best team in the sport sans Denver, I think. And, and I'd like to see them matched up in a series because I think both Michael Malone and Ty Lue are two of the best guys we've got in regards to changing things up, strategizing, uh, adjustments, things of that nature, especially now that Malone has been through the gauntlet and won a championship. I've always been a fan. And Ty, to me, uh, it's, to me, it's Ty and Spo are the best two coaches in the sport in regards to the way they handle their teams. So I'd love to see those two match up. I think Harden is in the proper role where he can be more point guard. We saw a little bit of that last season with Philly. And I thought he flourished in that role. I always felt like he was more of a point guard uh, as much as he is a scorer. And it alleviates Kawhi and Paul George, who were being forced into roles that they weren't necessarily comfortable with. They were having to initiate the offense all the time. And it doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing it at times, but to do it all the time is more of a burden. And this allows them to free themselves up in a way, both offensively and defensively, that we haven't seen really in a long time since maybe for Kawhi, since he was in Toronto, and Paul George since he was back in the Indiana days or maybe the OKC days, but I would say more so the Indiana days. Sixer star Joel Embiid set to undergo a procedure to address a left meniscus injury. 
in the coming days. The team announced that yesterday, quote, the door isn't closed on a return this season. Is the door closed on the Sixers being a legitimate contender for the championship this year? Well, if he comes back, I mean, coming off an injury like that, I don't know how effective he'll be. If I had to guess, I would say no is the answer to that. I would even worry if I were them about staying in the playoff uh, you know, standings where they'd be in the top six. I could see them potentially even falling out of that if things got really bad. I'm a big Tyrese Maxey guy. I've, I met the kid during the draft process. Uh, I did a, a feature for ESPN for the draft with him and Anthony Edwards, who were working out together. Anthony obviously was the number one pick in that draft, and Tyrese went just outside the lottery. So I'm a huge Tyrese Maxey guy. Um, but that's a lot to ask of a young player and the rest of that roster to maintain the level that they played at without the best player on the planet, arguably, in Joel Embiid. I think he's in that uh, obvious classification. And you look at Miami, Cleveland, Indiana, all have easier schedules down the stretch from this point forward. So I think they could potentially climb a little further, and that could put Philly in harm's way. George, with that, there was all the speculation that maybe if they don't get far enough this year, Embiid would ask out. Do we think that this situation may have changed that, if that speculation was accurate? Um, yeah, I, I don't see the big fella saying to himself that he would want to go out like this in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I just... I don't know him super well, but the times I've been around him, I get the sense that there is some frustration, like there would be with any player when you can't break through a, a certain ceiling. But I, I just don't envision him saying this is the time uh, where he would want to be asked, what he would want to ask out coming off an injury like this. But look, I'm sure Knicks fans, uh, because that's been widely speculated that that would be where he would potentially want to go, uh, would love that. Uh, especially the way that they're playing and the way they've built this team. They've got some assets that they can move around, certainly. Um, but I, I just don't see Joel doing it in this particular instance. George, great stuff, man. We appreciate the time. Thanks. You got it, guys. Have a good show. George Sedano, ESPN 710 LA and the NBA on ESPN Radio. Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. The Embiid injury is a massive story. So the, how does that affect everything laying out prior to the trade deadline this week. We will delve right into that after Joe has this from our friends at Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have both the knowledge and the experience to answer all your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call cookgranger.com or just stop by. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Carlin versus Joe. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Decent little run over the weekend, 2-0, up two units, courtesy of the NBA and UFC main event. So we turn our attention to the association tonight. This is a first-half wager between the Pelicans and the Raptors. Pelicans hosting the Raptors. We're going to play the Pelicans in the first half, minus 6.5 points. It seems like a lot, but they're a rested team. They've been off for a couple nights, taking on a Raptors team that went to double overtime yesterday against Oklahoma City. So those legs could be tired. Now, on top of that, 
The Pelicans, number two in the NBA in first half point differential at plus 5.2. But when playing at home, number one in the NBA in first half point differential. They are a very good first half team. Toronto, 21st in first half point differential. So you got a good first half team versus a bad first half team. And the good first half team is at home and rested facing a bad first half team that's off a double overtime game from the day before. Pizza money number 1 Pelicans first half minus 6 and a half over the Raptors. Sixers star Joel Embiid will undergo a procedure this week to repair his left meniscus. Embiid expected to miss an extended period of time. When I think of that, I think a month plus. And without the reigning MVP, it's going to be tough for the 76ers to remain relevant. We got to see what the timeline is this week. But I think if the 76ers, you know, hold on and make the postseason, I do believe that we'll see Joel play then. But I'm not expecting for us to see him play the remainder of the regular season. No, I don't. I'll tell you what, that is that is a tough situation for Philadelphia when you factor in that the Sixers right now are in the five spot and we are talking about them not making the playoffs if Embiid's not back this year. It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We are, of course, on social media. Follow us at Jay Fortenbaugh over on Instagram, at that guy Carlin. Joseph, this is problematic for the Sixers, to say the least. Um, when I look at the fact that they lose this guy again, and I look at how much time has been wasted in his career, it's getting harder and harder to believe in Embiid's ability uh, to have his talent maximized while still in his prime, even though we say the door is not uh, closed on the, on the end of his season. I can't imagine a scenario where he comes back and is at 100% or close to it and highly effective to where he needs to be for that team to really do anything And it's now an if, not when, they make the playoffs. You've got to take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves, right? Can't squander anything in professional sports. Because one thing the Sixers have done a good job of the last few years is not only squandering opportunities, but it's taking for granted the fact that Embiid's been healthy. A player who entered his career and didn't play a single game in either of the first two seasons because of health concerns. Health concerns have always been an issue for Embiid. But the last few years, because he's been relatively healthy, we've started to forget about it. Maybe we're past that. We're not. He got hurt. And that's what happens, right? Some guy rolled up on his leg. It's not like it's his fault. But ultimately, this is why you got to strike when the iron's hot. The Sixers have squandered all these opportunities. Uh, Per season, this is how many Joel games Joel Embiid has played since the beginning of his career. 0-0-31-63-64-51-51-68-66-and now 34. He was banged up in the playoffs last year. I don't see him coming back, but I'm sure he's going to probably try. We'll hear about it if the Sixers are flirting with play-in potential. But ultimately, what does it matter? Because the trade deadline's in three days, and if he was healthy, you had to imagine the Sixers were planning on doing something to improve the roster. But what do you do now? Do you even bother trying to make a move in three days? Because it could all be for naught. I don't know how you do. I mean, that's, that, that is tantamount to franchise malpractice if you're going to go out and make a trade – that operates under the assumption that you're going to have Embiid back at some point this year and you're going to make a run this year, that would be dumb. I'll tell you what I'm really having trouble with. I'm sick and tired of everybody complaining about the 65-game rule. Sick and tired of it. 
I mean, if Joel Embiid came back to play early because he felt the pressure of not playing in Denver last week, that's just an incredibly immature move on his part. Incredibly immature. That is all on him. That is not on the Sixers. It's not anybody else. Because that criticism would have gone away if you're missing missing a couple of more games, Joe. People would not have been all over him for that, number one. And number two, you don't have to play in 65 games to win a championship. You have to do it to win an MVP, to be all NBA. Joel Embiid's already done all of that. So LeBron, shut up. Everybody who was going to complain about the 65-game rule, shut up. If Embiid came back because of that, that is on him and nobody else. The rules in place for very specific reasons, in this case, they should not apply to a guy who knows his number one job is to win a championship. Well, a part of that's on the Sixers. They can't skip skip any sort of blame here. Like that, you have to put some of it on them. They screwed up on the Saturday in Denver, which started all the backlash. Yes. No one's going to yell at Embiid for missing games if they know he's actually hurt. No one thought he was hurt on Saturday against the Nuggets because the Sixers didn't list him on the injury report and then ruled him out right before the game, which is a classic strategy that happened in the load management era. So now everyone assumes once again the fans are getting bamboozled. It's a late scratch because a guy doesn't want to play at, a, at, at elevation or whatever the reason would be, and as a result, everyone gets on Embiid. Now it's in his head, and a few nights later he's in Golden State, and he's thinking, I need to get out there because I don't want to take the heat again or whatever the reasoning may have been but that doesn't start unless the Sixers screw up the injury report so a a, a chunk of this lands at their plate and their job and the head coach's job is to protect players from themselves but you gotta know when the guy's hurt but if Embiid stays out after that nobody's talking about it they may still get hit for not putting him on the injury report you're right that's why I got the criticism in the moment but if he stays out and does the right thing then we're not talking about this. No, but the reason he played was because he was getting criticized because the Sixers screwed up the injury report. And that's, that's what incredibly immature. Like, if, if he's wrong in your eyes for having played because he was hurt because of what everyone was saying about him, no one would have been saying anything about him if the Sixers hadn't screwed up the injury report that Saturday. If everyone knew, look, Embiid's hurt, he's dealing with a knee injury— our entire mindset shifts to, well, he's not going to make 65 games and he might not end up winning the MVP, but no one's talking about him ducking Jokic. That's what everyone was saying. He was ducking Jokic. Yeah. Once again, we're load managing. This is BS. When, now, in fact, it wasn't. Now, the other part is this. As we had George Sedano on a few minutes ago, I completely agree with him. I do not see a way in which Embiid would ask out of Philadelphia in these circumstances. I can't imagine he's going to do that when he's hurt. After they just screwed up the injury report on Saturday that led to this injury, you can't see a scenario where he'd be upset with the organization? No, that's not why he didn't play. Like, all he has to do is say, guys, I can't play. Boom. I can't play. That's it. I get it. They screwed that up, but that's that's not on them. He's got to be worried about his best chances to win a championship. And trust me, he will be very sensitive. If he's sensitive about this, he'll be incredibly sensitive about leaving that city under these circumstances. I don't know. He's been linked to the Knicks, and the Knicks are suddenly really good and really appealing. How much longer do you want to spend toiling away in Philadelphia? Wow. Boy, that would be... I mean, you talk about the ultimate betrayal, that this, and this is how people would see it, not that it actually is that, but how that town would see it, 
They would absolutely see that as the ultimate betrayal. Bailing after you got hurt and then ending up with the Knicks. Oh, my God. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.